Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Monsters and Murder. I'm Shane. And I'm Sam. And we also have Winnie with us, too, right now. Wow. <laughs> I mean, like, her and Ollie are always with us, but she's, she's sitting like, between us, kind of. She is right here. I'm <laughs> <laughs> rubbing all over everything. Yes, yes. And before we begin, how are you today? I'm good. It was a good day at work. Got a lot of homework, but that's fine. Yes. It's a good day at work. The snow has melted. Mm-hmm. It was rainy. But honestly, I don't mind this weather. Because <laughs> it's winter now. I don't want to be outside anyway. But it's nice to have, I don't know, just the overcast day. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed it. I only have a light in my office with, like, the window. Mm-hmm. So it was very cozy in there today. I am not the biggest fan of these cloudy, dreary, rainy days. <laughs> yeah. But I don't know. It just attributes to, I guess, my wintertime blues that I sometimes get. And it also doesn't help that I did not have, like, my favorite is day at work. But nothing too bad. Nothing compared to where we last work. It's definitely not a bad day like no. it was there. And at least it's, we're halfway through the week. We are. Tomorrow is pre-Friday, Friday Eve. Yes. Which you guys will, if you listen on the day this drops, will be listening on Friday. So yay, TGIF. This is, this, we're speaking to you from the past. But in the future. I, whoa. (laughs) (laughs) Crazy. Yes, yes, very much so. I, I did have one supernatural thing kind of happen to me. And I can't remember if I told you this morning. Um. But amidst all of the anxiety dreams that I was having last night, because that's exactly what they were, I did have one really bizarre dream where I, like, someone told me that there was a demon, Hmm. like, in the area where we were, and then I felt said demon pulling on my hair. It also felt my hair being pulled in real life. Now, was the demon just visiting, or had they moved here? (laughs) I don't know. In the dream, it's just they were there, and I don't know why I was in the dream. But totally felt my hair being pulled. That's how I woke up with the hair pulling feeling. It's terrifying. It is. It's weird because you saw me this morning. I didn't have like the thing in horror movies where they like pull people up by their hair. So you have like the triangle hair from where someone was holding it. That scene in um, Paranormal Activity, I think Mm -hmm. it's the third one. I think that's probably one of the scariest scenes of any movie because I was just not expecting it. It was terrifying. It's also in the Bell Witch movie as well. Oh, I haven't seen that. That poor girl. Really? I thought we watched it. Did we watch it? I don't... You... I can't remember any movies that I watched, basically. But yeah, no. That poor girl in that movie was hoisted up by her hair many times and slapped by an invisible entity. Oh, no. I definitely haven't watched that. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's really good. As far as horror movies go, I like it. Do any animals die? I don't think so. Okay. I was going to say, the only thing that might happen is their pet might disappear, but they don't ever find it. But I can't remember if that's the Bell Witch movie or if it's another paranormal haunted movie. I mean, I can handle that. I just Mm -hmm. don't want to see it die. Yeah. I don't remember anything being on screen for that one as far as animal cruelty goes or deaths. I know it's not really cruelty, but it does suck when the pet dies in movies. I I can watch people die, no problem. Mm -hmm. If the animal dies, I'm not watching it. (laughs) Yes, we can watch any iteration of Scream and it's fine. Yeah. We will go into what I've prepared today. Which, I have a story, but before we go into the story, I wanted to do an update on the Miami alien story. Oh, okay. That I've been talking about for weeks Three now. weeks, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I've been trying to monitor this story closely, like I'm a real journalist. <laughs> but I'm not. <laughs> but I'm really trying to find out as much as I can on this, which has mostly been, honestly, through TikTok, which I know is not the most reliable source. 
But even so, we've kind of started to see videos emerge from people who were in the actual mall. Most of these videos are kind of blurry and very Blair Witchy. Mm. You know, everyone's running, people are screaming. And when you can make out things, you just see a lot of people running. And in the distance, sometimes in some videos, you know, they'll be like, they'll hear something and be like, what is that? So since these videos are coming from people who are legitimately scared for whatever reason, maybe it's aliens or maybe it's just the police, you know, or at least as the police would have us believe because they feared an active shooter in the mall, even though they are now saying it was like a teen riot and teens fighting with sticks. And, That's still... And, a, and then aforementioned teens shooting off fireworks, which people thought was an active shooter, you know... All those stories are still floating out there. That, I mean, that's still terrifying, mm -hmm. especially today. Yes. Oh, yeah, and that happens so. all the time. Mm -hmm. Yes. So I totally get their fright. Um, but I must admit, in these videos, I have sadly yet to see an alien. Now, there was one that showed a totally CGI alien, which was not helping the cause. And it was like an alien. Like, they tried to make it like an alien from like the actual alien movies. Oh. Yeah. Like and, with the big things on the head. Yeah. And, oh, okay. Yeah. So that was, like I said, it's not helping the cause. But I will also admit that I have seen some videos that do have some, like, I'm not sure how I would describe this, like, loud and unexplained, like, screeches and roars from distant areas in the mall. Because, like, they're running, they turn around, and you hear this weird, weird sound, and people are saying that that's the aliens. But it also, I mean... It could also it very well be like helicopter Or helicopters, because there were helicopters. Mm -hmm, possibly so. A bunch of cars. Uh, so, you know, like I said, I know they could be edited in. If they are, they're very good edits because it does sound like it's coming from wherever they say it is in the mall. And if they are real, then what are they? Like, if they if they actually heard the sound, what is it coming from? Is it the police? Is it the helicopter? Is there something else? I don't know. Um, but the sounds are definitely not fireworks. And it's not some kind of sound you would expect to hear in a riot. Like, this is, it's a screech or a roar. Okay. Mm -hmm. So now the police in Miami have been talking about this incident. Rafael Horta, who is a Miami police spokesperson, posted a video on Instagram, which you can find on Instagram at MDP Police. Officer Horton explains that 50 or more juveniles... And I use air quotes because this is the group of people this incident is being blamed on. Or, as the people would believe, the scapegoat. They were firing fireworks at people. And because of the commotion, oh, they were also looting the mall. I couldn't read my own handwriting. I was like, looking, looking, but it says looting. <laughs> well, I mean, that, that happened, so. Mm -hmm. I mean, so, this is very believable. Yeah. He claims the officers already on the scene could not contain it, so they called for a citywide three, which saw every officer in Miami, apparently, responding to this call. Well, I mean, if you think about it, not to like... Mm -hmm. With 50... Sorry if you guys hear the cats, they're playing. <laughs> um, 50 teenagers? Mm -hmm. I don't want to go up against a group of like two teenagers. <laughs> So 50, I could see why they would call it, what is like mm -hmm. a level three or whatever. Yes, yes. So he next addresses the part in the video that went viral and seemed to show what looked like a shadow presence or a shadow alien emerging from the mall. Which, I don't know if you remember, like I showed it to you and there oh, was yeah. like a weird figure Thing looking at outside the, end, the mall. Yeah. Alright, so he debunks this as that it was just a person who was walking with a shadow. 
And this is where he kind of lost me in that video. Yeah, it definitely didn't look like a shadow. No, no. And, you know, I'm happy to, like, if I can find it, if if you want to, we could talk about it after the podcast. I'm happy to post some of the videos if I can find them and get them on our account so people can see them. Um, if you want to do that. Yeah. But, yeah, the entity people are saying is an alien. He is debunking as a person walking with a shadow. And it does not look like a person with a shadow that I have ever seen. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know what it is, but it definitely didn't look like a shadow of someone. It no, looked like something else. No, we've seen that like a million times in our life at this point. Yeah. So he ends the video in a very peculiar way. He says that he can confirm for all of us that there are no aliens in the Miami or in Miami in the Bayside Marketplace, which is the mall. But then says the phrase that I do not that I do not know if it's just him or them, meaning the police trying to be funny or even mock believers. But the direct quote is, there are no aliens in Miami in the Bayside Marketplace at the moment. Well, that's because you got them out. <laughs> exactly. At the moment is the key phrase. And then he wishes everyone a safe weekend. But then a CGI alien walks into the screen that he looks at as the video clip ends. So once again, we have officials making light of a serious situation that apparently every single police officer in Miami felt the need to respond to. Well, I mean, that's what government officials have done since Roswell. Yes, but I still find it odd that it's every single police person responded to this call. Even if it was 50 juveniles, like, yes, they need a lot. But like the video with everyone responding so much, it's like that seems like a little much. For that situation to me. I don't know. I, I will say that think about the damage that one person can do with True. one assault rifle mm-hmm. and imagine 50 people with an assault rifle in a crowded mall. Mm-hmm. This is also true. Yeah. I think that calling in all the police mm-hmm. officers would be warranted. Mm-hmm. Um, a USA Today article quoted another officer whose name is Michael Vega, as, and he was telling CBS News Miami that there were no aliens or airport closures or power outages connected to the events at the shopping center. The Miami Herald reported that four teens were arrested and as a result of the incident, which involved fireworks, riots, and fights. Two 15-year-old boys were charged with burglary, um, third-degree grand theft, and battery. And two other boys, ages 14 and 16, and one of the 15-year-olds were charged with resisting arrest without violence. But there were arrests of teenagers made. Yes, only four. I don't know. I'm thinking this is more along the lines of teenagers just getting out of hand. And Mm -hmm. honestly, in a situation like that, like going back to if it were 50, you know, 50, around 50 Mm -hmm. teenagers or whatever with a gun. It's better to, in a situation where you're not sure what's happening like that, it's better to overreact than underreact. Because mm-hmm. nobody's going to get mad at you if you overreact and there's not a problem. Yes. But if you don't react, if you underreact, mm-hmm. people's lives are at stake if you don't. Yes, yes. And I agree with that completely. Um, and of course, because they are minors, their names are not released to yeah. the press. Um, some people have put it out there that they wonder if all the police officers were there, why only four were arrested. You know, I don't, I can't answer that. You know, like I said, even if they all responded, we saw it looked more like a traffic, I don't want to say traffic jam, but police officer cars were lined up. So it's not like every single one of them was in there and able to catch these running teens. 
Well, and also people are running out of the mall, and if it's a if it's a thing where the teenagers are like, "Oh shit!" Like we're mm-hmm. about to get arrested, they're not going to know. They're not going to know the who people- was doing what. Yeah, exactly, because people mm-hmm. are running out. Yes, so that I do understand as well. Um, I do think that the dismissal is very similar to Roswell, where where you know they brought the alien out and was like, "Oh, aliens aren't real," and the guy walked out in the um, costume, and I don't think that helps their calls at all like i think they should address it seriously been like this is actually what happened these arrests were made it's under control yeah no definitely so just but i mean because it is scary i mean we live in america it's Mm -hmm. like seriously a very scary place to be yes and i think making light of a very serious situation Mm -hmm. is only i don't i don't know what like devaluing what like what could have actually happened and how serious it could have been like yes. it's not something to make a lot of yes but so within all of this i did want to very briefly talk about a theory that has come out um so there's one theory i think it's super interesting this kind of emerged from this that i want to share that has nothing really to do with the teens or like this is more on the like there were really aliens there okay. and teens are being used as a cover-up because you know, I don't know if many people are fans of Generation Z. <laughs> I, I, in all honesty, mm-hmm. aliens invading Earth is less scary than a group of teenagers with guns in a mall. That that's mm-hmm. the better scenario. Yeah. Like, please, you know, let it mm-hmm. be aliens. Exactly. So this theory states that the incidents in Miami Mall were really aliens, but the aliens only appeared from the portals because they entered the wrong coordinates. They, assuming the aliens being referred to, accidentally reversed the coordinates of where they intended to come out, which was Antarctica. So I did exactly what this theory said to do. I wanted to try it out for myself. And what you do is if you go onto Google Maps and look up the Bayside Marketplace in Miami, Florida, it will take you there as it is supposed to. And Google Maps will also give you the coordinates. So copy the coordinates from Google Maps and they should be 80, 11, 12.5 12.5 north, 25.46.42.2 west. Well, if you replace north with west and then replace west with south, the coordinates will take you to Antarctica. Oh. Mm-hmm. Now, when I did this on Google Maps, um, it said I was in the Antarctica ice wall. And this feeds into the many theories. It states there is something more going in going on in Antarctica than we know of. And several other conspiracy theories about aliens living in or under Antarctica. And you can play around with this for yourself. You can double check my coordinates. You can get them for yourself and see what happens. Um, I did see another video that just says if you switch the north and west, it will also take you to Antarctica. And they did it on their screen in the video and that also worked. All of this is to say that this theory says that the aliens made a mistake or an oopsie that is 100% relatable because it is something that I would do too. (laughs) oh yeah if i was teleporting i could totally see myself mixing up my coordinates and popping out somewhere i didn't want to if i had to drive when paper maps were all that we had i would be lost forever (laughs) i need a voice telling me turn here i use paper maps and i was just fine and now when it tells me to turn here i'm like wait the turn is like 500 feet ahead (laughs) i'm turning into a bush exactly Um, so they accidentally popped out into the mall, pandemonium ensued, and now we all know. What are your thoughts on that? (laughs) I would like that scenario to have been what had happened. Yes, yes. That one's a good one. I like that. Also, let me know what you think too, listeners. 
I do want to add that I am seeing more and more accounts showing that there were, were and still are strange lights in the sky in um, what appears to be UFOs or UAPs, which is kind of the new term for UFO because it's an unidentified aerial phenomenon, hmm. which is used a little bit more now than just a UFO. And these are seem to be popping up everywhere in Miami, if you can believe the accounts and videos that you see online. Um, either way, they've been popping off ever since the mall incident, which happened at the beginning of the year. So 2024 is already kind of really wild for aliens and alien conspiracy theories. I have always called Florida, and I mean, no offense by this, but I've always kind of called it like the land of the snakes or reptiles or lizard land, just because they have so many reptiles down there mm -hmm. that I do think one day will probably take over the state. <laughs> Possibly so. Especially like all those invasive snakes, mm -hmm. which really terrify me. Um, but, you know, I also like to think, is this finally the battle of extraterrestrials? versus the reptile or lizard people that everyone keeps talking about in their conspiracy theories. <laughs> I, I think, I, I would like to think that there wouldn't be a battle. It mm -hmm. would be, or if there is, the lizard people are the people that we don't want anyway. They're mm -hmm. the Republicans. And um, we don't, you know, mm -hmm. the aliens are coming to fight the good fight. Yes, maybe they are. We just got to hope that they don't team up and decide to get rid of the humans because humans are kind of terrible anyway. Well, yeah, that is true, too. <laughs> There's a couple good ones out there. Yes, yes. Some of us are good, I like to think. Yeah. But. Um, the Betty Watts of the world, the Taylor Swifts. Yes. <laughs> Now, this is not, I know, like, I've taken a lot of time with this, but this is not just a Miami alien episode or an alien episode at all. Let's see, I do want to do, like, a kind of alien story coming up, and I think I've said that, like, once or twice, but I told myself after 50, I'm really going to start looking into stuff and see what I can find. So, I want to have that coming up soon in the future. But I do have an actual story that is about the supernatural, but kind of in a different supernatural story than I have covered before. Some would describe this as maybe as divine, and it is sort of very loosely similar to a story that you covered in the past, which was the miracle of Cokeville oh, yes. from way back in episode nine. Yeah, a very <laughs> long time ago. Yes, yes. And I would like to think like we, we've become a little bit better at podcasting since then. I would think so. <laughs> I hope so. But I mean, I, I don't think we were terrible by any means. But I don't I, think, I would we've like to think we've grown. Yeah, we haven't gotten any worse. I can say that. <laughs> So today, I will be telling the story of the West End Baptist Church explosion in, and I don't know, I cannot find the correct pronunciation from this because I found so many variations, and it's either Beatrice, Nebraska, or Beatrice, Nebraska. It happened in Nebraska. Yes. That's you got to say. Yes. And it wasn't Children of the Corn. So. <laughs> well, see, that's another movie I've never seen, so. Uh, it It's in a fictional town called Gatlin, at least I believe it's fictional, but I love the Children of the Corn movies. I love corn. <laughs> so for this episode, I did my usual research online, but I also watched an Unsolved Mysteries episode, and it was one of like the good ones from way back in with season. Robert Stack. Yes, okay. season two, episode thirteen, with Robert Stack. And even though the story is not really creepy per se, his narration still was kind of creepy. He could be reading a recipe for chocolate cake and it would be terrifying. He was walking through a church talking about this event, and when they showed him. It was still kind of spooky. It wasn't like a dilapidated church. It was one that was still very much in use. He, he was just, oh, can you imagine like being married to him? <laughs> like, we we have to divorce. I was going to say, could you imagine if he was your GPS voice over? No. Oh, God, no. I would never drive anywhere. Oh, my God. Like, in 500 feet, turn right and never be seen again. Um, I would never drive at night. 
<laughs> yes, and, well, and I say all this in the best way because I absolutely love Robert Stack. Oh yeah, he was like, I think every millennial mm -hmm. loves him, but is also terrified of him at the same yes. time. Yes, yes. And I am very still much a fan of Unsolved Mysteries being a thing, but oh, yeah, his, too. I think, were just better. Like, his narration they made were. it so much better. And it was the thing, like, we were kids when it was on, and it was, you know, you yeah. heard the music, and you were like, oh, God. <laughs> like, I think back then, even though they were bringing us these true stories and trying to seek help on them and were successful at it, might I add, at least for a lot of them, mm -hmm. um, it was still a production, whereas now they take yeah. it more of, like, a true crime documentary, which is a yeah. little bit different. Yeah, yeah. But diving into the story, the year is 1950. Church member Martha Paul leads the church choir, and they sing on Sundays and have rehearsals every Wednesday night. Martha had served as choir leader since 1925. Oh, shit, Martha. That's <laughs> a know. long time. Martha apparently ran a tight ship because she was adamant that everyone be on time for every choir practice, which always began at 720. Okay, and I'll say, I can get on board with Martha, like, needing every, if you say you're going to be there mm -hmm. at 7.20, if you show up at 7.19, you're late. Exactly. As you always say, as someone in theater, I 100,000% am this person, too. I'm like, we start at 6, you show up at 5.50 or 5.55. Yeah, because we need to be out of here by the time that it says mm -hmm. on the schedule. Yes, yes. There are some sources that say that practice was at 7.30, but m more than not, including Unsolved Mysteries, said that practice started at 7.20 p.m. And since Unsolved Mysteries actually featured some of the people from this story, that's what I'm going with. Yeah. So the reverend of the church was Walter Klimple. And at this point, I'm not sure how long he had been reverend at the church, but this was not his first church and it would not be his last. I've never understood why preachers are moved after so many years. Like, I do have some background on Walter as I found his obituary and he was born on June 17th, 1913, and grew up herding sheep on his family's Montana homestead. Okay, so for a second when you said herding <laughs> sheep, I was like, why was he herding the sheep? And then I was like, oh, uh, H-E-R-D, not yes, H-U-R-T. Yes. <laughs> he was a sheep herder. Um, enunciation is key. <laughs> and I need to remember that. Um, Walter was ordained as a minister in 1946 after having completed school at the North American Baptist Seminary. He received his BA from the University of Nebraska in 1948. And later, Walter took courses in Spearfish, South Dakota and received a teaching certificate. Oh, cool. Walter was ordained, as he says, a minister in 1946. And in 1947 in Creston, Nebraska, he married Eunice Prang. By 1950, they had one young daughter. Both Walter and Eunice, and by proxy their daughter, who they always brought along, were members of the choir. Yeah. Like, a lot of people you'll find in the story are bringing their children to choir rehearsal. Walter and Eunice, those are just, those are some, like... 1950 names. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. And, of course, no offense to anyone who is still no, alive named let, Walter or Eunice. Let's bring back Eunice. Yes. And I always only think of Mama's family when Me I hear too. the name Eunice. <laughs> Carol Barnett. <laughs> Martha Paul, the choir leader, had a teenage daughter, Marilyn Paul, who also served in the choir and as she was the church pianist. Other choir members include Laith operator Herbert Kipf, or it's Kipf, I believe. It's very kind of hard to pronounce. I also don't know what a lathe operator is. I forgot to look it up. <laughs> I don't know anything about instruments. It's honestly not that important to the story, but he also sang bass in the choir. 
There were teenagers Lucille Jones, who was 18 years old, and she sang alto in the choir. LaDonna Vandergift, who was 15 years old at the time, sang soprano. And I could not find the ages of these two women, but they sometimes received rides to choir practice by LaDonna, and their names are Roriana and Sadie Estes. I do believe they were also teenagers, though, because they're yeah. often grouped with the teenagers in this story. Dorothy Woods was a local church churchgoer who was also a teenager, and she would receive rides from her neighbor, who was 18-year-old Lucille. And then local father, Harvey, I believe it's all is how it's pronounced, it's A-H-L, who had two sons, was a local mechanist, and his sister Ruth Schuster, along with her small daughter, were also members of the choir, and she was a stenographer. Or, excuse me, she was not. My senses ran together. Um, Ruth was just a member of the choir. Stenographer's name was Joyce Black, and she actually lived across from the church. And these people all composed the choir of West End Baptist Church. That's a big choir. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, and honestly, like I said, I think people were bringing their children to, if they were old enough, they would kind of participate. But I don't think they were really counted as members. It was just like, we need to bring our children to practice because there's nothing else to do with them. Yeah. I, it's been a long time since I've been in a church. But I wish the mm-hmm. choirs at the churches that I had attended in the past actually practiced. Because, <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Yes, I've heard some really good church choirs, and I've also heard some really, like, oh, okay. Well, I guess it's anybody that wants to get up there, I guess. I have attended church with my family. None of them listen, so I can totally tell this story. And even this, like, when we sing hymnals, like, there's no choir, but we sing hymnals. Different people are singing different things, and it's not because they're following the hymnal. It's because they're either, like, on the wrong page, or they think the song goes the wrong way, or they're in a different tune and a different spot in the song. I remember, again, it's, I was probably like, I don't know, it's been a long time. And I remember getting the, you know, the book and Mm -hmm. I didn't know the words. So the pastor was like, turn to page, whatever. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I don't know the tune. So I would just like look over at somebody and pretend like I was singing. I would just be mouthing the words because I didn't know the song. Okay, I have done that a lot, too. Yeah. Even, like, I can follow the words and whatnot, but especially, like, when I heard other people not doing the right thing, it really makes me want to crack up. And, of course, in church, I try not to do that. Oh, no. Um, It's very hard, especially, like, if I'm there with my family, you know my family. It's very hard. Because if I see one of my siblings notices, they'll kind of lose it a little bit. My mother will try to lose it and then, like, tell us not to. (laughs) Yeah, no, my grandma used to get very mad at me. And then I remember one time I tried to wear, well, you don't remember, but (laughs) I had these pair of plastic dress-up shoes that I wanted to wear to church so bad, and my grandma wouldn't let me. And looking back, I was like, I was a kid. You should have let me wear those plastic shoes Mm -hmm. to church. Yeah, everyone's going to bring their kids in whatever they are or are not wearing (laughs) sometimes. That's true. I was also not allowed to chew gum in church because apparently I like to chomp my gum. And apparently everybody <laughs> could hear it. I We would get gum in church. So that was always one thing. Like we would get there early and be waiting. And so being as young as I were when we went more regularly, um, like other members would give us gum. Ugh. Yeah. No, I wanted to be like, do you want me to praise Jesus or do you want me to be quiet? You <laughs> pick. You're not getting both. Yes. So, that's the church members who comprise the choir. 
Since church goes year-round in the colder months, Reverend Klimple would stop by the church before choir practice and he would start their coal furnace before rehearsal. So by the time that everyone started to arrive, the church would be warm. That sounds nice, but also like a fire hazard. <laughs> Maybe so. Um, I also always wonder why are churches so cold? I've never been in one that is not really cold in the winter that requires someone to go heat it up. And... Like, I hope newer churches today are built with, like, a little more better heating and insulation than they were even in the 1950s. Well, I feel like we, oh, I mean, and this could just be me being stupid because I haven't been in church mm-hmm. in a while. But we live in the South, and a lot of our churches are, like, very old. Yes. We don't have new churches here. We have, we have like, 50,000 new Dollar Generals. Yes. And all of the churches are just <laughs> barely hanging on. Exactly. But even then, like, when they were built, was heat not taken in? It wasn't account? a thing. Like, or it was like, we'll just use our gas slash coal heaters <laughs> that spurt out gas everywhere, um, and it'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> so, and I honestly know that it's most likely also cost efficient because the building's only used once or twice a week anyway. That's true. That's true. So, why would you be heating it every other night that no one's there? So I do get that. And that's really probably just what the reason is. So the next thing I was going to say is I do also, and I had this thought doing my research, and I still do wonder, because I have known several churches that do this, Joyce Black lived across the street from the church. Why did she not just walk across there and heat the church? Or like, why was someone else stopping by to purposely do this when she's literally across the street? And she's not an elderly woman. She's very capable. Are you saying old people can't do stuff? Well, no, but I figured, (laughs) like, the first argument someone would hear if I asked that would be like, oh, maybe she's too elderly to go do that, but she wasn't at the time. Oh, I have no idea. Um, You need to go back in time and ask. (laughs) Apparently so. (laughs) You know, and and maybe even the preacher was like, well, I passed by, so I'll just do it so you don't have to worry about it. That could have happened. Uh, It was just something I was kind of curious about. And I was like, why was he stopping by? I hope he didn't have to go out of his way. (laughs) Or maybe I'm just really lazy and I hate to go out of my way to do something like that, especially when someone else is right there that is 100% capable of doing it. Yeah, I'm not going to do anything for anybody that I don't like. (laughs) (laughs) So, on the late afternoon slash early evening, whatever you want to call it, of March 1st, 1950, at approximately 4.30 p.m., Reverend Walter stopped by the church to turn on the heater so that the church would be warmed by the time choir members arrived for practice yeah let's let this fire go for three hours while no <laughs> one's in here um we know this because we have his account of what happened that day and he has admitted this the furnace was a coal furnace and reverend walter reported that he did not see or notice anything malfunctioning or out of the ordinary everything seemed as it always had been whenever he stopped by to light the furnace did he always stop by three hours early yeah oh. apparently so good Grief. <laughs> well, I mean, it's a coal furnace, so it's going to take a while to heat the entire building, too. <laughs> I guess. I don't know. I, I, haven't, I don't know if I've ever been around a place that has a coal furnace. <laughs> they're, I know they're really not common anymore, but like, I feel like it's the same thing, or at least in the same vein as the coal trains that mm-hmm. we used to have, which we still have one in town. It's Tweety Railroad, still a coal train. <laughs> it takes so much coal to get that thing moving. So I can just imagine if they're trying to heat something, it probably takes so much coal to do that either. Like a bag of coal every time, probably. Everything was as it should have been. And he leaves and continues his evening by going home to have dinner with his family. What did they have? Meatloaf? You know, I was unable to find that, (laughs) honestly. (laughs) I mean, it's the 1950s, probably. I feel like that was a big thing then, you know, with the side of lard because it's the 1950s (laughs) and everything was lard. (laughs) 
<laughs> Apologies to anyone who was from that era that still listens. Because <laughs> I think people could still be alive. I know they'd be really elderly. Well, I mean, no, they would be 70 in their 70s. Oh, okay. So, yeah. yeah. So, it's really not. Okay. <laughs> hey, I'm sorry. Pandemic years has really warped my time since. <laughs> so, anyway, Reverend Walter has, or this will take us to later that evening. And I'll preface this with some sources, including one of the main articles about this incident, state that choir rehearsal again started at 7.30, but the actual people there say it was 7.20. Reverend Walter has dinner with his family, and just like all the other choir members, he generally leaves in time to arrive by at least 7.15. But on this night, it's 7.10, and as they're getting ready to leave, which he must live close to the church if they're just leaving, you know, at 7.10, his wife, Eunice, sees that their daughter's dress and all the sources that I found, including Unsolved Mysteries, use the word or the term was soiled. So did she poop herself? No, no, no. I was getting ready to clarify <laughs> that. I don't think she pooed herself. <laughs> uh, I think they found like a stain on the dress. Okay. But, I, but I'm but i still, you know, not 100% certain on that. It could be just like a random stain because children, you know, yeah, will be they, clean I mean, one minute. You can blink and they'll have stains. Yeah. <laughs> It could have been a food stain, maybe from dinner. The meatloaf. We don't know. Yes, the meatloaf and lard. <laughs> it could have been a dirt stain from where she was playing earlier in her dress, maybe. Or she could have pooped herself. We don't yes, know. yes. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess it would have, like, she would have had to have a blowout. I don't know. Because it was on the dress. Like, the dress was stained. It wasn't just like they had to change her diaper. Um, they changed her clothes. Well, I mean, if she's, if she's old enough to not be in a diaper, it's going to get on the dress anyway. Very true. Um, but upon this discovery, Eunice decides not only did they have time, but they had to change their daughter's dress before choir practice, which would be a decision that would make them late for practice. Well, I mean, I think if, if she pooped herself, everybody would be thanking <laughs> her for not bringing her to church with a poopy dress. Yes, but they had never been late before. Like, everyone always arrives on time because that's what Martha Paul wanted. At 7.27 that evening, the West End Baptist Church exploded seven minutes after choir rehearsal began. Or so the Reverend thought. Walter, Eunice, and little Marilyn Ruth arrived to find the church completely obliterated. If anyone was in the building, there is no way they could have survived. He is soon, if not immediately, greeted by Joyce Black, the choir member who lived just across the street from the church. She got what I am sure is the shock of her life, when she, too, was running late and stepped outside her door just in time to see the church explode. Ooh. Mm-hmm. And if she had not pooped herself, she did not. <laughs> she lives across the street, but across the street is not, like, the church and her home are not right on the road together. Yeah. So, like, she, there's a little distance, like, it's within visible distance, but the explosion did not damage her home. And she also was not hurt or affected by the blast, even though that she saw it. But she notices something very peculiar about the blast. So the church exploded and she witnessed this. But the choir sheet music and psalm books, which I imagine are hymnals, were flying in the air and raining down all over the, the church property and her property. A lot of things had seemingly escaped the blast and escaped any burning by fire, which you would expect these things to be pretty much almost ashes well, at this it's point. Paper. Mm hmm. Exactly. So the sheet music in these books have been blasted from the church, and Joyce reported that one of the psalm books fell on the ground right in front of her. And it was in such pristine condition that she decided she would keep that book for herself. And she did. <laughs> I mean, 
there's no place to store it at the church, so. And at this point, I don't think anyone was going to miss it. No. And Joyce was one of the people that spoke to Unsolved Mysteries, and at that time, she still had the book. Well, that's neat. Mm-hmm. The Reverend started to search through what debris he could, looking for any surviving church member, worried that so many of his churchgoers and people and friends were in the church at the time of the blast. But one by one, each choir member and their prospective child or children that they had, if any, showed up. And with each one that showed up, they would rejoice and be really happy that, you know, that person was running late too. Somehow, some way, by some chance, every single member of the choir that evening was running late, including Martha Paul, the choir director. That's crazy. Yes. I did find a source or two that mentioned that the Reverend was, was trying to, in his frantic search, trying to call people. Um, like and, the police? I hope he was calling the police. No, he was trying to call the um, church members to see if they, you know, if someone could tell them if they had left for choir rehearsal or if, to see if they had left yet. But they also need to call the fire department. Yes, yes. Because there was an explosion. <laughs> and maybe they did. Um, I mean, even Unsolved Mysteries were a little unclear about that. But his first priority was, I guess, his parishioners would be the term, maybe. Um, but it was to see who was in there at the time of the blast. Um, and each member, you know, they verified they had not yet either got to church or maybe he called one or two from Joyce's house before their arrivals. But I can't imagine with people, you know, showing up that he was calling everyone and getting answers. And I also don't know because he was searching for them outside how he, you know, if he was really like inside her house calling them because there were no cell phones. No. Yeah. He would have had to be unless he was trying to call them telepathically. I think that's a different story. <laughs> yes. So everyone survived because they had all, many for their first time, decided to or were running late. No one was in the church when it exploded, and these people, like, these people were not all neighbors who lived in the same area, you know, even though some were, but it's not like they were all held up by the same traffic jam. Yeah, it was, everybody had They lived stuff. all around town. Yeah. Some of them were neighbors, some of them were not. Instead, something unique had held each one of them up, and this is what we're going to kind of dive into. And these are collected from the first-hand accounts from those who were featured in Unsolved Mysteries and from a report that Life Magazine did with the, I guess you would call them survivors, because they were supposed to be in the building and were not at the time of the blast. In this Life Magazine article, you can find archived in the Daily Sun, in, which is a newspaper and in Nebraska. So here's why everyone was running late. We already knew why the Reverend and his wife were running late, because of their daughter's soiled dress, whatever that means. <laughs> <laughs> but what about Joyce Black, who lived across the street from the church? I would have figured that she would be one of the first, if not the first person to arrive at church. Yeah. Well, in her own words, she is quoted in saying that she was just plain lazy that evening and waited till the last possible minute to leave. It was March 1st, so this is still winter. And she also did not want to be outside in the cold, which I don't blame her. Me either. <laughs> she did not always feel this way, but something on that night just kind of made her be lazy and I think we all have moments and sometimes like that. Hopefully not all the time, but I do get that way, especially like when I'm getting ready for bed and decide to scroll videos until past 11. Or hitting the snooze button like five times. <laughs> yes. And then when she finally stepped out the door, the explosion happened. The choir director who insisted on punctuality was late because of her daughter, Marilyn. Remember, Marilyn was the pianist. And after they had dinner that night, she decided she would take a nap. 
Some reports say she was aiming for like to take a cat nap of 15 minutes, while others say it was supposed to be 30 minutes. Unsolved Mysteries portrayed her as napping while her mother wanted to wake her, but her father insisted on letting her rest. When she did wake up, she realized she had overslept and the time was 7.15, and she knew this would make her and her mother both late to choir practice. She says she had just been tidying up when the explosion occurred. So her nap and her lateness, and possibly her father, which also made them late, also saved their lives. The lathe operator, Herbert Kempf, was writing a letter to their denomination headquarters, and for some reason he felt so compelled that he had to finish that letter that evening and drop it off in the mailbox on his way to practice, despite knowing that the mail would not be picked up until tomorrow anyway. Not will save him a trip out for him in the morning. I guess so. On Unsolved Mysteries, he said that his mother was hounding him to get a move on so he could get to choir practice on time. And I am certain that after this, he and her are both glad that he did not listen to her. Yeah, he would have been... <laughs> he would have been in the building. Ruth Schuster, who many article articles referred to as Mrs. Leonard Schuster because, you know, 1950s women can have first names. Yeah. Um, And her toddler daughter, which... At this point, it's kind of like, heaven forbid, their father, who was not a part of the choir, or going to church, watch the child while the mother leaves. Um, but he, she was running late because she had to stop by her mother's house first and help her prepare for a missionary meeting. I don't know if it was with the same church or if she was doing something for the same church. There's just no other details. Next, we have LaDonna Vandergrift, who was one of the teenagers and she was doing homework like a good student, and she was working on geometry, a particularly hard geometry problem, and she was determined to finish no matter what. <laughs> I completely understand that. Yeah, I, my, my next sentence is, I get this. Like, when you're in the zone trying to do homework, you don't want to have to put it down to know that, you, like, only to know that you have to come back to this later that evening. Yeah, it's not pleasant. And you know it was also probably one of those stupid train problems because it's geometry. <laughs> Where one train leaves at one time and another one on the opposite end of the country leaves at another. What time will they crash? Like, why are we killing people? Why are there so many train crashes in math land? They only ever crash. They never make it to their destination. <laughs> their destination is the crash. So her homework made her late. Royana Estes' car had been giving her trouble all that day. And when it came time for choir rehearsal, she could not get her car to start. Meaning that she and her sister Sadie would be late unless they found another ride. So they called their friend LaDonna and asked if they could carpool with her and she, and if she would pick them up. LaDonna agreed, but as we all know, she was doing geometry, so because LaDonna was late, also meant these two sisters would be late as well. Lucille Jones, another teenager who was always prompt with her arrival to choir practice, decided to give that up this night because she was listening to the radio program, This Is Your Life. I don't remember that one. It makes me think of This is a Wonderful Life. <laughs> or It's a Wonderful Life. I guess that's the name of it. Well, you weren't alive in the 50s, Shane. This is also true. Um, this program featured the celebrity of Edgar Bergen, who I also do not know. But she yeah. was so enthralled with knowing that the program was going to be about him that even though it started at 7 p.m. and would not end until 7.30, she decided she would just listen to the whole thing. And so she did. <laughs> that would have been me if... Freddie Prince Jr. had been doing something. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Dorothy Woods, who was Lucille's, Lucille's neighbor. Good grief, let's try this again. Neighbor. 
Dorothy Woods, who was Lucille's neighbor, always went to choir practice together with her. So that evening, since Lucille was listening to the radio program, Dorothy decided to be a good friend and wait on her. And she waited until Lucille was done listening to the program, which also meant she would be late. Dorothy wanted to listen to it too. Yes, yes. But she was a good friend. And maybe she was listening. She didn't say she did. She just said she was waiting on Lucille. Harvey All, the local mechanist, and his two young boy had his two young boys because his wife was out of town. This meant the two young boys would have to go with their father to choir practice. But he said he started talking to the boys and time just slipped away. And before he knew it, it was close to or exactly 7.30, which is a time slip that saved his life. So through some strange set of circumstances, everyone was either running late or made the decision to run late for a multitude of reasons. And the West End Baptist Church explosion would claim no lives. The numerous coincidences necessary for the situation to occur exactly as it did, resulting in zero deaths in a terrible explosion, is uncanny. Firemen thought the explosion had been caused by natural gas, which may have leaked from the may have leaked into the church from a broken pipe outside and had been ignited by the fire in the furnace. The Unsolved Mysteries episode attributes the cause of the explosion to an underground gas leak, though I'm not sure, and I can never find an official cause if there is an official explanation for this. The choir members attribute their survival to an act of God that made them all late. And I can't remember which one who said it, but one of the women's on Unsolved Mysteries who was a survivor of this claimed that God did not want them in church that evening, and that's because it was going to explode. Many people since then attribute this as a miracle, while others will say it's just a series of strange coincidences and events. And that's the story of the West End Baptist Church explosion. What do you think? I think regardless of whether or not you believe in God, the mm -hmm. fact that nobody was hurt that is, like, a miracle definition. Yeah. Like, yeah. nobody was hurt. Yeah, there's something that we cannot explain that this event printed, uh, prevented from taking any lives. Um, I liked this story, and I wanted to cover the phenomena of everyone running late and essentially, you know, essentially for the first time, and thus no one being aside when the church exploded, because I know some of our stories have been a bit bleak lately. Yeah. Um, plus, regardless of what you believe, how do you explain the fact that everyone who was supposed to be there would not be. Yeah, that it's, is really, really crazy. Yeah, maybe it's supernatural, maybe it's divine, or something else. We may never know. Yeah. But that's oh. that's my story. That's very interesting. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I feel like I saw a variation of that story on, um, do you remember Fact or Fiction with Jonathan Frakes? Yes. Okay, so I saw something like that on I believe that. you're right. Like, I didn't look too much into other than Unsolved Mysteries because I was just trying to find sources to get all the information I could. Well, and those aren't, like, they're loosely based on fiction. Exactly. Yeah, so. Exactly. But I, I think I may remember coming across that. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, that was interesting. Yeah, I'm glad you enjoyed it. Like I said, it's something a little different. Do you ever think about, like, if you're running late and you're like, you get, you know, we both get frazzled if we're running mm -hmm. late. But what if we had actually left on time? Oh, yeah. Do you ever think about that? Mm-hmm. For sure. Sometimes I do, and that's why I try to remind myself that, like, this is just obviously how it's supposed to be. I'm going to be running late. You know, and I don't think every time I run late, I'm dodging death by no, any means. No, yeah. No, this is a final destination. I get ready to say the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't drive behind any logging trucks anymore. Or bus no, 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 no. Definitely not. But... Uh, but sometimes I really do think it's just, you know, it's just going to be, it's meant to be. Yeah. Whatever you believe, it's meant to be, whether it's the universe, whether it's a religious deity, or maybe it's just plain luck. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We don't know, but yeah. But yeah, it's the unknown. How many times did we just say yeah? <laughs> I don't know. I'll A hear lot. it back in editing. <laughs> but do you want to tell people where they can find us online? Yes, we're on Instagram at Monsters and Murder Pod, and you can send us an email at Monsters and Murder Pod at Gmail. Yes. I am on TikTok at Shane Lee Miller 11. I've post I've been posting videos of me trying really weird flavor sodas like butter and <laughs> oh, what's one of the others I've corn. tried? Corn. Yes, corn. Um, I will produce more content for the podcast in the future as well, but follow me there. I'm trying to I'm trying to grow following myself. <laughs> and you can find me laying on our couch doing homework <laughs> every single day of yes. the week. But with that, we hope you guys enjoyed. And until next time, stay safe. Bye. Bye.